Well, hello, friends. It is between two Sundays time because we're between two Sundays. This is Mark. This is Mark. <laughs> I can never remember which way the mirror thing works. And we are um, well and well, well and truly, we are one week into. 2023 happy new year yeah um, for sunday and um we had a really good show last week actually there was some really good stuff in last week's episode um in fact the last two weeks christmas day um episode as well man i'm still reeling in Mm -hmm. stuff from that um but sunday just gone um you know this this reading from hebrews chapter two um, where we talked about, you, you drew out that thing about the fear of death. Um, when you started talking about that, I had all these circuitry things, neuro things started firing in my brain. Yeah, That's yeah. neuro things. Is the, it does connect term. things, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and I just started firing and realised, uh, uh, basically what I said last week was, when we talk about fear of death, it's not just fear of dying, it's the fight or flight response. It's mm. that response that makes us react to protect ourselves, to stop us from falling into death, whether that be physical, emotional, whatever. Um, and once we lose that fear, that fear of stepping, you know, stepping up, that fear of stepping in, that fear of, um, you know, responding in the right way, that fear of backing off when we need to, that fear of not reacting at times when we don't need to react. Hence, you know, there are times when Jesus will say, hey, leave her alone, you without, you know, who's never caused sin to throw the first stone. So you've got times where Jesus, like, does that. But other times where Jesus goes, um, you know, bang, who hit you, king of the Jews? And he says nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, there's, there's a time and place for responses, but all of those responses come when we don't fear death. Jesus didn't fear the reaction from the crowd. They could have said, hey, stuff it, let's not stone her, let's stone him for putting us on the spot like this. I could have done that. Um, you know, Jesus' reaction might have saved, like if he'd said something, it might have saved him um, even, depending on how he responded. Instead, he said nothing. Um, mm-hmm. So this, this, once we lose the fear, of what might happen to us if we react in the way that we believe is right, um, then so much becomes possible. And we start to react in the way that the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven calls us to react. Um, It becomes possible to love even in the face of hate instead of reacting with more violence. Um, And and so among, among other things. So for me, this has been a real important hinge point and as for someone Mm. who only in the last maybe 12 months or so has really started to get a grip on this kind of depth of kingdom living um and what that means that i that understanding the flight or fight or flight as being the fear of death not so much fear Mm. of dying and that, that changes everything too. You know, I hear people say, well, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then, you know, death, where is your sting? It wasn't so much that Jesus was resurrected, that Jesus defeats death. Um, it's the fact that um, Jesus shows us a way to live in a loving way in the face of all other things 
that once we once we get our heads around that and that you know whatever response comes we can still take pride in knowing that we've done the right thing um that's you know that that death where is thy sting i I brought that up last week too it popped into my head as i was talking that changes that completely Hmm. um so for me as you can tell i've been completely wallowing in that and thinking about the massively beautiful but in some ways massively difficult applications of that understanding Mm. um but yeah that's that's what excited me very nice i found myself arrested by um the statement just before that um so through death he might destroy the one who has the power over death power of death that is the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death um for me this especially the first part of this is saying Jesus didn't fear death, um, embraced it. And so so here is another call to follow. Um, so we've gone from um, Jesus moving through death to destroy death to us embracing the same journey that we would be freed from freed from death. Yeah. Um, so that um, that was really important to me for all the reasons you've just articulated there. Um, But then I was sitting with the Isaiah 63 passage as well, Um, his presence that saved them, which you um, made a fair bit of last week. Um, I think if you hold these two passages together, you've got um, the most extraordinary articulation of the gospel. Jesus being present, even in the things we would avoid, um, so death. So God is, God is present, um, even around those things that we would run away from. And I think this gives us great reason to um, uh, to embrace this path of becoming less. Um, because even, uh, you know, we looked at that creation psalm last week where God is everywhere, we sort of concluded. Um, But there is this sense here that God, in the most surprising way, is present in our deaths, Mm. Um, be be that, you know, physical dying at the end of life or be that this journey of giving up, of, of letting go um, is what I'm trying to say. Um, what, what a beautiful thought that God is present at every, t- not in just every place, but at every aspect or challenge that we fight, we face in our lives. Um, and I, and I think the, the selection of death here in this Hebrews reading is, is really saying everywhere. Um in, in, in the most unimaginable places, um, yeah. we, will, we will actually find God. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So we are in the season of Epiphany, um, and this week uh, we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. Um, and so we are in Isaiah, oh, you're right, by the way, we are in Isaiah 42, verses yep. 
29, Psalm 29, Acts 10, verses 34 to 43, and Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Of course, all those um, Bible passages are linked in the show notes or um, just below if you're looking on YouTube uh, and watching us there. Um, I think there's a thread that links all these together before we even come up. And the the thread obviously is the baptism of the Lord. Sure. Um, So I I suspect that in talking about these, we'll have some cross-pollination happening rather than working systematically in some way through the four readings. Um, What I find really interesting, though, and and all of these readings triggered this thought, um, as, as most people know, I'm a Benedictine monk. And for us... Um, you know, our abbot reminds us all the time that first and foremost, our vows are the vows we made at our baptism. Um, our vows to renounce sin, um, uh, to renounce the devil, um, to follow Christ and so on. Um, and, and I think that's really interesting that we think about baptism as that moment where in a, obedience Jesus puts himself under the leadership of John who has called people to this act, um, a visual act of, of um, starting to turn their lives around, metanoia, repentance, as it's translated in the English generally. And he allows himself to go through that process. But having come through that process, this, um, and obviously we're reading straight out of the gospel here, this moment when he comes out of the water, the heavens are opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting from him. There are other places in other Gospels that talk about that being heard by all who are present. Matthew doesn't say that. Mm. So let's, let's stay within Matthew's story for now. But what's really interesting about this is then in that moment of, I guess, taking that step of making some sort of visible public promise uh, and vow to God that there's this reminder to him that he's doing okay. And this, um, this saw the spirit of God descending like a dove, doesn't say it was a dove, just like a dove. So whether it fluttered down visibly to Jesus or what, mm-hmm. I guess we'll not know. Um, but the words, you know, you're my son, you're mm-hmm. the beloved, and I'm pleased with you. He doesn't say, now go and conquer. He just says, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm, I'm pleased with you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something incredibly simple and yet profound about that for us all. Now, let's remember that this word baptism also means to submerge or submerse. And I've always wondered, whilst I completely get baptism into water, um which Jesus said was John's baptism. Uh, elsewhere, you know, John commanded you to be baptised in water, but I'm going to baptise you with the Holy Spirit. When I think about what that means to be baptised in the Holy Spirit, if you to take that baptizo, which literally means to submerge, to sink, to, to dunk, to plunge, um, we literally find ourselves being baptised in the Holy Spirit by God, submerged, um, you know, we, we can't, I mean, if you can imagine that we're living in a sea 
and we cannot escape this spirit of God that surrounds us. And this is what we see happening to Jesus, this presence of God in the form of a spirit descends on him, rains down, if you like, not talking about from the place of God or anything like that, but like rain and literally consumes who Jesus is. And it's at that point of receiving that anointing that God says, I'm pleased with you. And it would be easy to think, well, unless I get myself in a position where I'm that, God won't be pleased. But when we remember and we're reminded consistently in Scripture that we are immersed in God, that the very fact that we are alive tells us that God's breath has animated us, that Mm. if God is in all things and through all things and among all things, then God's spirit dwells with us right now. And if that's the case, if it's the anointing, the presence of God's spirit in and among us and around us, that puts in a position where we can be called beloved and reminded that God is pleased with us, not because of anything we've done. I mean, all Jesus did was receive this presence of God that fell upon him. Mm-hmm. That's it. You used last week's language. That's grace. And so, you know, kicking off right with the gospel here, we see this this trigger point for not so much, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, this was needed because Jesus had to go out. You know, this was the power for God to go out or to Jesus to go out and fulfill his ministry. That's true, and we'll touch on this with some of the other readings, I think. But first and foremost, the first words out of God's mouth are, you're my son, you're mm. beloved, and I'm pleased. Mm. And that's it. And I think this is incredibly beautiful and powerful. And it's after this, of course, that, you know, we see Jesus being led out into the desert. Um, but what a thing too, you know, being, you know, going out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights to pray and fast and work out where you're supposed to be. And you go out with these words, you're my son, you're beloved, I'm pleased with you. Mm. I mean, dude, I'd be pretty, (laughs) (laughs) I'm walking out into that with my head held up going, it's going to be all right. I'm going to get through this. Um, So so I, I think this Matthew passage is a beautiful thing to remind us that God's presence is with us, that God is pleased with us, and that we are, probably most importantly, beloved Mm. yeah very nice um for me there's something really um important about this is i i I don't think this is just um a message for jesus i i entirely agree with you that the matthew passage articulates it this way the very fact that it's written down for others is is asking us to look into this um, asking us to see into this moment. Um, and the, the thought um, that God is pleased with the with Jesus who is going to go on and behave in this humble, gracious, welcoming, um, simple, sacrificial way, um, I, I think pulls us towards what we've been discussing in our you know, in one John a couple of weeks ago, um, 
and indeed in this uh, in in the Hebrews passage that we discussed a couple of weeks ago, um, Jesus is the exact imprint of God. Mm. Uh, God and Jesus are working in the same direction here. We don't really have this split in the Trinity where Jesus is trying to keep God happy. Um, we actually have this picture of everything moving in the one direction, but the entire Trinity moving in the one direction. Yeah. Um, and this is emphasised in this Isaiah reading um, at the beginning of it. Um, he is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. That in whom my soul delights um, has strong echoes with that I am well pleased. Yes. Um, and I, th I think the two come together here. I'll put my spirit on him, my spirit, not he will have a different spirit to me and, and change God's heart. Um, this is all moving in the in the same direction. Um, and he will be gentle, like, um, you know, not crying out, um, not bruising, uh, not damaging or breaking the bruised reed, um, that dimly burning wick he will not quench. This is all um, in this Isaiah passage. This is a reflection of God's heart. So I think, uh, especially in this baptism, we have this beautiful picture as challenging as it is for us of the trinity working together in the same direction of the same heart the same spirit being found in all three of these this community that works together yeah um i i think this is something we should cling to because we end up with these theologies that have one playing off against the other um you know, Jesus dying, but God wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. Um, you know, I think we end up in this in this funny space, whereas this baptism of Jesus, I think it is extraordinarily affirming um, of the picture Jesus is about to paint of who God is. Yeah. Very challenging to us because we've, I, I think, on a lot of levels, and I don't just mean... Um, you know, I, I mean, all of humanity, we, we have misunderstood this. Um, so it becomes challenging to everyone, not just those who seem to have a particular view of God. This is, this is actually challenging to all of us. Um, so I think this is, uh, I think this is just a, a wonderful way for us to sort of move into this year with the challenge of hearing again um, this gospel, this good news, um, and allowing it, uh, allowing it to change us, allowing it to become that central hermeneutic for us. Um, this picture of God um, really does alter the way we understand all of reality. Mm. And the psalm language and refrains mm. in the psalm back that image up you know when you're talking about yes. everything's moving in the same direction this is not um jesus and god trying to go in separate directions they're all yeah. moving in the same yeah. direction there's this sense of unity to this yes in the oneness of god if you like mm. um and you can't get away from it in the psalm ascribe to the lord ascribe to the lord the voice of 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 the lord it's one voice yeah um and it's um, doing some amazing things, um, mm. but it's all one voice. And maybe 
um, you know, one of the things that Matthew wants us to see here. Uh, and whether this, and, and perhaps because this, you know, if this happened, it would have been an incredibly private moment for Jesus. Mm. Um, in, in Matthew's gospel, remember, as we said before, no one else hears this or sees this. Um, it's clear that um, suddenly the heavens were open to him and mm. he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and a voice from heaven said. Now, whether that was everyone heard the voice or not could be conjecture. I sort of take it to be that Jesus heard the voice. Um, I think it's elsewhere. I think it's the, uh, Luke's gospel, I think. Um, yeah. And everybody heard um, yeah. the voice. Uh, but in this one, it's a very private moment. It would be very easy then to watch Jesus moving through his ministry, thinking Jesus is just making this up. Jesus is just going his direction. Jesus is reacting to things as he sees. Jesus has a plan in his head. But what Matthew really wants us to know is there's this inherent link between Jesus and God and that Jesus is going in exactly the same direction. This is yeah. not a God who has come at this moment to say, get into line, you little sucker. He's actually come to say, you're my beloved, you're my son, I'm pleased, we're moving all mm. in this one way. And that's why when we see the things that Jesus is doing, we see, as we talked about the last couple of weeks from Hebrews, the exact representation of God, the character yeah. of God, yeah. as it is in the Greek. That's why yes. in Psalm 29 this week, we can ascribe these things to God, even the things that Jesus has done. We can ascribe them to God. We can ascribe them to the voice of God because God is with him and they are moving together. When we yeah. see Jesus, we see God. And here what we're seeing the psalmist trying to sell us is when we see Jesus move, and we see Jesus doing wonderful things, teaching beautiful things, um, caring for people in beautiful ways. We can give thanks and glory to God. This is why Jesus would keep saying, give thanks to God. But yeah. it's not to me because yeah. I'm simply doing the will of my father. And Jesus yes. said that umpteen times. I'm just simply doing If you've seen me, you've seen the father. What you see me do is the father doing it. This is the same language. Mm -hmm. Um where we're, the psalmist is saying, ascribe to God the goodness that you're seeing. Um, so <laughs> yeah. when when G we can see that these passages are trying to tell us that, as Isaiah mentions, God's spirit is with him mm. and that any goodness that comes from that, we can literally peg on God and say it's, this is this is God's, God's doing. Yeah. I wonder if there's... Um... Uh, something in this um, in in this collection of passages, as we enter this conversation about um, you know this community of love working together, um, I, I think there's something worth highlighting about the language used here. Um, we've got the spirit described as the spirit of God. Um, so you can see the two being held together. Um, elsewhere in the New Testament, you, of course, you have the spirit being described as the spirit of Jesus. Um, here we have uh, here we have 
this description, um, this voice, uh, I think the voice is wonderful, actually, um, this, this voice that we, we end up presuming is God. There's no, um, there's no articulation of who this voice is, except that this voice claims to be, well, that Jesus is the son of this voice. So you can see how we end up with, you know, concluding that um, this is God or this is the Father. Um, the beloved, um, you know, this is love language. Um, and and if, you, if you kind of link this, so you've got this voice speaking that is unidentified, but if you go over to the psalm, you've got very clear and repetitive um, identification of the voice that creates all things and sustains all things being ascribed to Yahweh, um, the Lord, um, in capital letters in our translations. Um, so I think, uh, you know, if you hold all this together um, and you hold together this idea that God delights in Jesus um, from our Isaiah reading, I, I really do think you end up with this um with this very secure picture of Jesus, the Father and the Spirit, all working in this one direction um, and, and delighting in one another. Mm. Um, and that is, um, I, I think that's a pretty special place for this gospel to start. Um, and no doubt um, later gives courage to the, the New Testament writers as they make claims like um, this is the word um, from, from John 1 or that Hebrews 1 passage, the, the exact representation of God. Yeah. Um, you know, these are big, big claims, but I don't think Matthew is all that far from this with this description of the baptism of Jesus, the, this moment of the, the Trinity all working together. Um, I, I think it's um, a, a beautiful and really extraordinary moment um, for Jesus to um, identify with that, uh, with the ministry of John, um, but then genuinely to take it further. Um, this is the one on whom the Spirit descends. Um this is the one who will baptize in um, in the in the Holy Spirit um, is is kind of the language of other moments in our gospels. Um, this is this is asking us to imagine this as being much more than uh, or, or Jesus ministry building further than just um, the taking away of sins. Uh, we we are being. We are being invited into a space where whatever the Spirit of God is going to do from here, it's bigger than just forgiveness. It's bigger than water baptism. Includes, certainly, but is bigger than as well. And I think that's um, something we would do really well to kind of sit with mm. um, because I think we end up with parallels between um 
the, the ministry of John and the ministry of Jesus. And we end up collapsing them into, into the one and saying they're exactly the same. And so all Jesus does is go through the world forgiving sin. Um, and Jesus certainly does that. I'm not questioning that for a moment. But I think Jesus does much more. He calls us into a life of fullness, fullness, full relationship with God, which is, to be fair, much more than John is doing. It's probably worth throwing in here something we discussed a couple of weeks ago, which speaks to that very point. And it's where we talked about that word repent and how yes. John used it in a particular way, yeah. but how we think Jesus might have used it in a slightly different way. Yeah. John's call to repentance literally was get your life straightened out because, you know. One is coming. One is coming. Then the one comes and also says repent, but this is a different repent. Yeah. This yeah. is not a repentance of I'm here, so, you know, be scared. This is a repentance of now let's go through the transformation process. Mm. Now let's you, you've you've got yourself in a position where you've recognized, and this this came out in that conversation too, uh, with the other one of the other readings that was there. That until we recognize, or no, actually it was the same reading. Until we recognize the condition we're in, we can't accept the healing that comes to us. So unless mm. I recognize I'm sick, and any man will be mm. good at this. Men don't go to the doctor generally. Why? Because we will not. <laughs> we refuse to recognise that we're sick. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, or we won't rest well because we refuse to recognise that we're not completely healed yet. <laughs> um, when you recognise those things, though, you actually will go and get help, get the medicine that you need, get the rest you need, get the diagnosis you mm. need, and what you need to do to get better again. Mm. John's baptism, uh, sorry, John's call to repent was a call to recognize you need this. Yeah. Jesus' call to repent was now let's start the transformation. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly that's, what we're talking about yeah. here. Um, you know, Jesus and John's ministries were very, very different in that respect because mm. John mm. couldn't bring the wholeness. Yeah. John and very strongly linked. The, you know, the Gospels in using this same language, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near um, on the lips of John and on the lips of Jesus and subsequently in Matthew on the lips of the disciples who are sent out. I think this is talking, you know, very strong parallels. Um, Absolutely. But, and, they're, and as you say, they're, they're intrinsically linked because you've got to have yes. John's realisation before you can have yeah. Jesus' wholeness. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so they're, they're absolutely linked. There is no doubt about that at all. Yes, yeah. And this is where I think our Acts 10 passage is, is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Ending, ending on the pinnacle, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Um, I, I think we've, you know, we often talk about this as though this is the only thing. Um, <laughs> this is the only thing that the vision of the kingdom of God does. Um and I'm not questioning that at all, and I'm not even questioning this as a, a, a starting space. Um, but, gee, it's a, it's a sad place to arrive at, and, and this, is, this is all God does. Actually, God is um, the, the, the Trinity, to use the language of, um, of our not 
not the language, but to use the imagery of our Matthew passage, um, is inviting us into a, a, the fullness of life um, lived within the community of God. And I, I think that's so much more than just, um, you know, I've been forgiven. Um, this is this is an embracing welcome. Um, the other thing here, of course, at the beginning of this Acts 10 passage, um, God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Yeah. Um, and, and, of course, right in the middle of this, um, the, part of the story that's being told here in Acts 10 is that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, um, which I, I would suggest is an allusion to this baptism. Yes, absolutely. Um, so so it's, it's a pointing to this um, part of the story as, as quite central to what those early apostles are actually proclaiming um, is that this one, um, this Jesus, is the one God delights in. Um, which changes our understanding of who God is. It really does radically alter um, what we're saying here, um, what what the claims we're making about God. And and we sh and as we've said over the last couple of weeks, I, I think there's a place for us as followers of Jesus to to absolutely embrace that with both hands and say, yes. The picture Jesus gives us of the heart of God is radically more, radically different and more accurate than anything seen in this world before. Um, and and so we've used that language. So so Jesus becomes our central hermeneutic, our, our central understanding of who God is. Yeah. Through which everything else must be interpreted. Yeah. Exactly, which is what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks too. Yeah, um, yeah. That, that exact same thing. This verse 38, which is the one that we've been focusing on here this last little bit, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit mm. with power. Um, people often read that passage, that verse, and sort of think there's a full stop there. Um, mm. Yes. But what I, what yes. I find incredible is, is that if you go on to read what this anointing was for, um, and this links again too with our passage in Isaiah. Mm. Um, so, yes. so yeah. the writer of Act Luke goes on to say um, how God anointed Jesus and us with the Holy Spirit with power, how He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with Him. So this anointing of God's spirit on Jesus in this event um, wasn't, again, so that you've got this guy who busts in and says, hey, I'm here, I'm present, you know, God's upon me, let's crush him. It's going out and doing good. It's about healing people who are oppressed. It's about taking God with him. This mm -hmm. literally is the Emmanuel, God with us. Why? Yes. Because Jesus has yes. taken God with him. At the end of the Isaiah reading, um, uh, from verse 7, um, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out the prisoner from the dungeon, from the prison, 
those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, because they spring forth. I tell you of them. So we've got language here that's, first of all, resonated in Luke's gospel, um, where Jesus basically says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me too. Um, open the eyes of the blind, um, release the prisoners, set the captives free, rah, 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 rah. Um, But this is literally doing good and healing those who are oppressed. Um, and so it's understanding that this, you know, I mean, having grown up, uh, a part of my, well, grown up, part of my adult ministry has been in Pentecostal circles um, where, um, you know, I'm not against God's spirit moving in the world. And God will choose however God wants God's spirit to move in the world. I have no doubt about that. But often in those circles, you hear people talking about how God's spirit is upon us so we can be prosperous, how God's spirit is upon us so we can lead our city. So God's spirit is upon us so we can conquer this. So God's spirit is upon us so we can come against that. Unless that's about doing good and healing those who are oppressed, then that's not what the spirit is for. And I think there's a beautiful reminder yeah. in Luke's words here of why the spirit came upon Jesus. Yes. Um, it would be very easy, again, to see the words and actions of Jesus as being this conquering um, person, but it's, it's not about that. It's about doing good and bringing healing. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, again, that's the lens. That's the hermeneutic. Yep. through which we need to read and understand the spirit, other the, the ministry of Jesus. So you've got this um, description in Isaiah, which with echoes of the Luke passage, um, but certainly the, the writer of Acts, Luke, knows, has recognised this. Mm. Um, and these obviously is the words of Peter here. Um, so Peter, Peter is saying that they are recognising that it was this spirit of God that came upon Jesus that was literally for the purposes of doing good and healing the oppressed, which, mm. and then echoes of that when he continues and says, we're witnesses of this. And now it's our turn to take this on. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he's the one ordained by God. Um, so they're, they're continuing this message and continuing to carry this hope. And I would like to think that implicit in what Peter is saying here is this idea that uh, Peter recognises that we too have had this spirit come upon us and we've recognised this spirit in us and yes. we can hear God's word speaking to us saying, you are beloved, you are my children, in you I'm pleased. Now go and do good and heal all those who are oppressed. Mm -hmm. um, this is really, um, you take all these passages as a whole, you've got this event, we understand then what this event meant for the ministry of Jesus. But even more than that, there's a recognition in all of that of what this event means for us today. And it is a message of amazing news. Mm -hmm. Not only that, the spirit of God is upon us, but that we too now have that ministry, as Paul called it, the ministry of reconciliation, to go, to do good, 
and to heal all those who are oppressed and to bring that yes. healing to our broken world. This yes. is not just about who Jesus is. It's essentially part and parcel of who we are together. Mm. You know, I, um, I, I really wish those who wanted to talk um, about the Holy Spirit and all the evidences for it, I really wish they would start here with the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus with the Spirit of God and the resulting ministry um, of humility, grace, service, sacrifice. I wish we would start here, but we, we, are, we are so prone to want to start with, you know, the lists of the gifts. Yep. Um, or, or, or sometimes even, you know, one particular one of those gifts which we've decided is, is the sort of sign. Um, I, I, wonder if, um, I wonder if this is the space that we really should be starting that conversation from. Um, if, if Jesus uh, is the exact imprint of God, and we're talking about the spirit of God, um, really, this should be the place that we start that conversation rather than um, places we, we, you know, may feel um, are a little bit safer in their language. They're not as story orientated, so they don't create as many conversations or they, or they don't allow our imaginations to soar as much. Um, although I think they do ultimately. Um, but but I, would love, I would love that conversation to start here um, because I think we would arrive in very, very different places that are, um, that are much more gracious and open. Imagine what it would look like, if you will. Um, <laughs> and you may have even had this conversation where someone comes up and says, are you baptised in the Holy Spirit? How do you know? And as yeah. you say, usually the focus is on the gifts, one in particular yeah. speaking in tongues, yeah. but even yeah. some of the other gifts. And then you have the, the train of thought that says, well, shouldn't we focus on the fruit? Mm. Love, joy, peace, patience, mm. kind of. And that's probably better. I think yeah. it's better than the gifts, um, that the fruit of the spirit is visible. And by the way, it's fruit, not fruits. Um, yes. Not yes. just one of them. It's all of them encompassing is the fruit. Mm. But I wonder, can you imagine a conversation about something like, brother, sister, um, have you received the Holy Spirit? And I said, well, I don't know. Or I think so. So how do you know? Um, and that the starting point for understanding that God's Spirit is with you is to realise you're a child of God. Yes. That you're beloved and that God's pleased with you. What if we made that the focus? Wouldn't that be amazing? Helping people get to that point yeah, yeah. where yeah. they can literally have an experience of being immersed <laughs> in the love of God, which is already around them, right? Yes. And this is the irony, but this is part of the awakening. This is where you're a child of God. Really? Am I? Ooh. Yeah. And guess what? You're beloved. Mm. What? Yeah. And guess what? <laughs> God's pleased with you too. Mm. And over a course of minutes, hours, days, months, years, whatever, that person comes to this sudden epiphany where yeah. they go, oh, it's all around me and I am yeah. I'm beloved 
I belong, and I'm, God's someone's pleased with me. And what, and what an if this, what if this, what if this epiphany, what if that epiphany moment um, is actually the space from which we go out into the world, that space of loved, that space of accepted, that space of God delighting in us, um, what if that becomes the foundation from which we reach out to a world that thinks God hates them? You know, what if that becomes, I mean, for me, that is the spirit of God. Yeah. Um, that is the spirit of God, this, this beautiful, um, loving, unconditional acceptance um, that even costs God. Um, I, I think all of those things, uh, what if we were courageous enough to centralise Jesus enough to say, this is the space um, from which I will operate? Um, yep. I will operate in this spirit. That can change the world. <laughs> that can change the world. And this has been year A, baptism of the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 9, Psalm 29, Acts 10, verses 34 to 43, and Matthew 3, verses 13 to 17. Wow. Um, it might have been short today, but man, it's sharp and shiny. And we'll be listening to this one a few times again too. Um, uh, all the links <laughs> for things yeah. that you might follow yeah, yeah. are down below or in the show notes. You'll find links there to, to Mark's blog at barefootfollower.life. You'll find links to my Instagram and Facebook account where the handle is at monkindocs. Um, there's our email address. There's other stuff we do. Um, connect with us, talk to us. What are you seeing? What are you exploring? What are you finding? What's your epiphany about this baptism being? Um, yeah, what a start to the season of epiphany, mm. uh, which will conclude on um, Feb 6. Yeah. Um, but, um, man, what a way to start the year. Whew. Rock and roll. Folks, that mm. has been another episode of Between Two Sundays. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Thank it you. is fun indeed. And uh, I've folks, got thank you. To think about. Oh, like I said, not much in terms of time, but boy, there's some depth. Um, mm. Folks, we'll see you next week for another Between Two Sundays. Take care. And until then, bye for now. Bless you. See you.